in the business world they're always talking about we need to innovate and we need to disrupt and all these catchphrases and I kind of laugh because that's just what that's the definition of the arts if you're not doing those things you're not really creating art welcome to artist as leader where we explore the intersection between creativity and leadership I'm Pierre Carlos Lenti, the producer and editor of this podcast so for this episode, I thought we'd turn the spotlight on, or the microphone on, our regular hosts and the brains behind this podcast, Corey Madden and Rob Kramer. If you've listened to any of our previous episodes, you've undoubtedly already gleaned a lot about how certain artists lead, and you may already be seeing recurring themes. In this episode, we'll hear from two people who spend a lot of time thinking about the intersection of creativity and leadership and also about why we, artists and non-artists alike, should care about how artists lead. I invited Corey and Rob into my home in Hillsborough, North Carolina, forgot to give my cat her early dinner, which is why you're going to hear her make an audio appearance, sorry, and um, I asked my guests to interview each other about this subject they know so well and are so keen to keep exploring. I threw out the first question, how do they define leadership? It's not an easy answer. Uh, there's over 2,000 known definitions of leadership. So when someone says, oh, leadership is this, it's actually lots of things based on what published definitions state. So over the years, what I've tried to understand and look at is what's a, a kind of more of a framework that we see where leaders are performing. And I see it as the intersection of sort of three arenas. So it's um, in no particular order. It's leaders having the ability to gain what I call willing followers. So it's interpersonal skill, it's building trust, respect, and rapport, it's recognizing who the people are that I hope to get their support on and what they need. It's really very much about interpersonal and intrapersonal skill in a lot of ways. That intersects with the leader having and being able to clearly articulate a vision or a goal or direction um, towards something. And articulate meaning that they can clarify it and define it and communicate it effectively to the various audiences that they want the followership from. So if it's you and me, that's a different conversation than if I'm trying to enroll 30 students in a class that we're co-teaching, right? Because different audience, what do they need to hear and how do they need to hear it? And then the third is those two things then intersecting with the ever-changing situation or context that the leader finds themselves within. And that's one of the places I really see people miss looking out for is recognizing where am I right now? What is the given circumstances? What needs to occur given those situations and circumstances? And from there, how I then articulate and how I engage my followers or potential followers. Does that make sense? Absolutely. A big thing is that it's not then, it transcends formal job title or role. Um, anyone can do this at any time almost. Right, that was one of the things I find fascinating, which is leadership is not, what well, a lot of people think of leadership as authority. Yeah. And leadership is not really related primarily to role. It can be about influence or um, it can be a community level leader. It can be a leader within a small team. It can be, there are all kinds of ways to yeah. be and, a leader. And if we've explored with artists, it's incredibly informal, right? right it's someone right. walking down the streets and asking folks to get engaged with this or other artists that they know. And it's just individual conversations. And then suddenly they have support for something. There's nothing about formal authority, power, dynamic, any of that stuff. It's simply engagement. Right. So let's let's move on to that. We'll, okay. uh, let's talk a little bit about what we mean when we have developed this idea of artist leadership. Yeah. What would you say is true artist leadership? 
Well, I think at a minimum, artists are leading their own careers. So there is this whole aspect that I'm interested in of self-leadership and in the framework that we've designed for the class, you know, that's the kind of first step is to think about the idea that you're going to have to lead your own career, that there isn't a, a career path. You don't get a, um, a diploma that says you're now an artist and you just walk into a job. You actually have to find your way through your aspirations and the real world. You have to navigate that. And so all this definition to me really lines up with that. The yeah. idea that you have to have a vision, you have to have some goals, you have to have people who get interested in you. Followership to me can mean audiences, it can mean your team that you're working with, it can mean uh, people who follow you on Instagram. All of that is followership. Um, it's and much that, more entrepreneurial that right, way. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that this idea that you're moving from context to context, I mean, the very nature of being an artist is that it's a gig economy. And so you're moving back and forth between being on your own to needing to meet um, potential people who will employ you, auditioning, um, you know, promoting yourself. These are all situations where you have to be able to navigate. How do I create willing followership? How do I create vision with this particular audience? And I have to be able to shift gears. So I found that really, really interesting. You know, at the next level, I think artists um, like choreographers and directors, I mean, you work a lot with our deans. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Those are all p artists who've moved from being individual artists to being sure. Heads and some of, of them, departments. and some of them are still performing and working as artists at the same time. So, it's fascinating interviewing. So we're talking about the deans at the UNC School of the Arts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think almost to a person are, are all current or former uh, professional working artists themselves. The the thing that I love about working with them is. Um, which is almost a capstone to what we've explored in our interview process in the Artists' Leader series, is uh, how they're applying their artist process and skill set almost unconsciously to how they lead. And we've seen it almost to a person. Uh, the things that have made them successful as an artist uh, translate to how they're guiding the faculty, how they're engaging the curriculum, how they're setting a direction and a vision or creating a strategic plan. Uh, it's it's not a perfect fit one-to-one, -one, but it's really darn close how much of that translates. Well, over. and or I think where they may have problems is where they have a, let's say, a culture of what their art form may have taught them is appropriate behavior or appropriate pace or expectations. Yes. And then they move into academia and academia is slower. Academia is more... Um, collaborative or more committee driven and those things can drive some of the deans and myself <laughs> <laughs> absolutely crazy <laughs> crazy but yeah. I think that that's actually part of what we really are looking at is that inevitably yes. in the zigzaggy n nature of a creative practice you're going to be moving from one culture to another culture I used to call uh, the American regional theater, you know, one small South American dictatorship after another, uh -huh. <laughs> because right. they're all run by different kinds of leaders, and yeah. those leaders have different cultures that they establish. So if you come in as a freelancer, and you're the director, you still have got to tune up to what's the appropriate behavior in this theater when I have a problem. Right. Well, that goes ex right back to the definition, or I don't even know if it's our formal definition, but the way we're looking at leadership is around that situation or context component. Right. And as these artists have become deans, their biggest growth area usually is adapting to this new context, like you said, in higher ed, at the pace of higher ed, the deadline or, or lack of deadline in higher ed, the minutia, mm -hmm. the bureaucracy. It's right. just very, very different context. And that's probably the main place that most of these deans find themselves grappling with the most. 
And we're, we're also looking at the opportunity that artists have and that we have interviewed n- numerous artists like this who really become these visionary and innovative leaders of institutions, of companies, of movements. I mean, Rhiannon Giddens is a great example of somebody who, on the face of it, seems to just be a musician, but actually she's the leader of a kind of um, Afro-futurist sort of um, Tradition effort. slash yeah, traditional. Yeah, that's right. Trying to look at the tradition of banjo. Past to the future. Yeah, she's trying to kind of really reinterpret that. And you see that that's a, that's a huge vision of hers. And yeah. she's developing followership as she yeah. goes through it. And she's also running, in a sense, a creative company, which is Rhiannon Giddens, Inc. Yeah. And she has kid, people who work for her. And yeah. Banning, she, Banning Bolden's another great example, right? right? Exactly. Doing the community engagement she's doing through dance in Nashville. Right. She's taken literally the bull by the horns and said, what does this community need and how can we, through contemporary dance, engage our community and meet a need? Right. Or somebody who's a genre buster like Stu, you yeah. know, who went from being kind of a garage band guy who then has a show on Broadway yeah. and develops a show that's like no other show on Broadway yeah. and has to then collaborate with all different kinds of people. I mean, I think that looking at that, at the role of in a, of leadership in innovation, again, whether it's conscious or not, artists are trained to be innovators, but they're not always consciously understanding that they have to lead effectively. And so you end up with the diva, right? You end up with somebody who's brilliant, but who's broken in some way because they're so, have such great ideas, but they don't actually know how to manage other people. This is what I love about this whole course we've designed and this research we're doing is in the arts, I love you brought up innovation. You know, in the business world, they're always talking about we need to innovate and we need to disrupt and all these catchphrases. And I kind of laugh because that's just what, that's the definition of the arts. If you're not doing those things, you're not really creating art. And so when you bring those things into the everyday, then how are these people leading? And especially the ones that are doing it successfully. Yes, you do have the the end of the bell curve divas that are less successful at gaining the followership. But for the, the strong majority and a lot of the people we're interviewing, they're finding ways that in this world of constant change, constant quote unquote disruption and innovation, um, how do I apply myself so that I gain support and move a vision and an idea forward? And oftentimes it's for social impact. Uh, Vivian Howard being another one, right? Her community and, and economic engagement in Kinston, North Carolina through a restaurant. Mind-blowing. And it's working. Absolutely. Right? Or somebody like Ai Weiwei, who really is, uh, you know, a, a social activist through his art in China. You know, his free expression and the ways in which he's created these global uh, events that really um, hold China accountable. I mean, he's putting everything on the line um, when he makes a work of art. So he really is working on social change. So you can have kind of, you know, change is one of the other ideas in, in the course, the idea that people lead change. And that change can be very small scale. It can just be the change in an aesthetics of, um, you know, the American contemporary dance world. It can be adding a new technique to that dance world, or it can be this idea of change that really is, is about how artists are citizens and how they make a difference in the world. Yeah. And I think it really comes back first and foremost to how the artist understands themselves and gets to know themselves and their strengths and weaknesses and how they engage the world around them to start making different choices, as you said, almost entrepreneurially to say, okay, how am I going to make and shape and form my career? So Rob, will you talk with us about um, the relationship between your own awareness of your identity and leadership skills? Yeah, I love that. Um, 
a huge part of it in my experience, both as a having been a formal leader, having been an arts leader, and now coaching all kinds of leaders, I think it starts with values. People often will say to me, I leave my personal life at home when I go to work. And I always say, shenanigans, because your upbringing, your personal values, your sense of self, the things that push your buttons or the things that excite you, they're all with you, like it or not. And so, yeah, you might leave the argument you had with a friend or a spouse last night at home, but the 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 wiring of who you are is absolutely walking through the door with you anywhere you go. So to me, it starts by, if I can understand and unpack and recognize what's driving me and motivating me from my, through my values, then I can start to say, oh, where of that and what parts of that are uh, appealing both to me and might be appealing to my community, going back to storytelling or just the way I choose to engage people. We know through research that people are more apt to support people that they trust. And um, again, from a, an academic research lens, that's more around people that have are seen with having high integrity and being honest. Now, we certainly have seen and know, and it's important to, to understand that people will also support others based on their own values and goals ignoring integrity in favor of getting some of their personal needs met. So that can happen. And in the larger context, we understand that it's about followership of values and alignment. If I see that the things you say and the way you say them and the things you stand for, I can also agree with, I'm much more apt to want to engage you. So if I share those those in a way that's quote unquote authentic, that feels genuine from me and not made up, not polished and shiny or not awkward. It's a simple human uh, ability to say, oh, I really believe in this person. Um, So ultimately, it comes down to how do I choose to show up, which comes through with the totality of our awareness, our values, and the things that motivate us. And those things, I think, impact how and whose support we might gain or might lose. Right. And I noticed that when you were coaching me, that one of the things that's really helped me think about is an awareness of maybe not the most wonderful things about myself. Like maybe I'm bossy or maybe I talk too much or maybe I have a leadership shadow or any of those kinds of things. And trying to, when you say how you show up, I often think for myself, what can I, how can I temper some of those parts of myself under certain circumstances? Not always, but in some circumstances, it's better for me not to have a huge leadership shadow. Yes. Um, And when's it time also to step back a little and let others step up? When's it time to bring some of those pieces into the room because it's needed? All that to me is around self-awareness first of the impact I have just by who I am. A lot of people don't think they just show up and do what they do. But when we can do that, when we can reflect and go, oh, these are the things that may not be as useful. Actually, here are the things that are super useful. So let me recognize those. And it's almost like a toolbox. Let me pull this one forward. Let me set this one down a little bit. If I bring one forward, I don't mean to. Can I own it and say, oh, sorry about that. You know, let me self-correct in the moment. People really value that. In your experience, Corey, obviously having a huge career in the arts, what what do you see is, is foundational for that? You know, I think that the way that I came into thinking about artist leadership was about the idea of the artist needing a voice. I think that there's a way in which the arts train almost all artists to think about the idea of voice, not just writers, But it also could be called vision or it could be called aesthetic. Those are all words that in a sense mean an artist makes a set of decisions that deeply reflect their values, deeply reflect their creative inquiry, and really represent the the arc and their opportunity to make 
an impact in some way. And so a lot of what artistic training is about for artists who are going to create work is what is their voice. So being able to go through a process of unpacking their identity and the ways in which their story, particularly things like their social frames, I think more and more today when we look at can you um, clarify that, social frames? Yeah, social frames, I mean things like um, they're personal, they're social, they're familial, they're ethical, they're spiritual. Context is a frame through which they see. So you say people walk in with who they are, and artists do too. They also will go through a process while they're training to question those social frames and maybe become a critical voice in relationship to social frames. They may be looking at society and critiquing society. But all of that processing of who am I and what do I want to say in that context, to me at the essence, artists are leaders because that is a, a moment of vision and, and voice. So sort of from the very beginning, what interested me when I started to work with you is recognizing that I hadn't really thought of being an artist as being fundamentally a leadership role. Mm. But I think even if you don't try to affect another human being, the fact that you're trying to express a reality that you see and that you want to see the world differently than it just is, is change and is leadership. And so that, that became kind of fascinating to me. And then as I started to go beyond that. So, um, you know, whether you're a chef or a sculptor or a singer, you're going to be invested in that idea of leadership as artistic work. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that that ultimately guides artists to think about social impact, to think about things like community engagement, to think about things like equity, yeah. inclusion? I mean, do all these things, do you think, is that a natural progression as an artist or a leader starts looking at themselves? I really think it is. You know, I think it's a um, commitment to self-examination mm. and to thinking about the self in relationship to society. I love this because I say a lot with my coaching clients, good humans make good leaders. And to be a good human involves looking at yourself and your junk and working on yourself. Right. I mean, you know, if you drew a Venn diagram, you, you can be a good human and not be an artist. And there are some artists who are very much not good humans. Mm. But I do think that there's a high, you know, area of intersection between people who are both good humans and become good artists. And I think it also has a lot to do with, you know, being able to tell your own story. I think that one way that we're working on equity um, through this course is that we're really um, helping people understand that you're not just a dancer, that you are all these creative skills that you have, and you're also the whole person that, that has that story. All of your story from all those different perspectives and frames are part of how you'll lead and also part of what you want to lead. Before they left, I wanted to make sure we heard from both of them about their own artistic backgrounds, and also how they both had their aha moment when they realized how well the creative process translates into leadership skills. Essentially for me, after 20 years of working in the theater and then discovering leadership development, and for a while they were crossing over till I moved fully into leadership development full-time as a career, I didn't think too much about one or the other. I just knew I was having this passion for leadership and I didn't really know why. It just lit me up and read. So I started reading voraciously and to this day I still read voraciously about leadership and social science and things like that. 
But all of a sudden, I had this epiphany one day, and I don't can't really tell you where it came from, but I was like, huh, I'm going to go back and look at some of my acting books. And I picked up Uta Hagen, who was one of the books that I just loved, and her work. And I'm reading her book, and famous, um, you know, theater educator and author and actor. Um, and as I'm reading her book, in my mind, I substituted the word actor or acting for leader or leading. And easily off the top, 80% or more of every time that showed up, it could have just been a leadership book. That could translate directly to a leadership book. And I, that's when I started thinking, oh, I'm onto something here around this idea of the intersection of creativity or at least of theater and, and leadership. And then the more I looked, um, creative process was just everywhere. You know, no one said it, no one used those words, but it was more and more prevalent. So as I got the opportunity to come back full circle and then start consulting and coaching back in the arts, meeting you was a great example. It didn't take long for us to pick up this conversation and speak the same language and say, wow, how does this really translate? So it's been a passion for me, the intersection of of the arts and creativity with leadership and also, as you know, for me, mindfulness, which I think is just another component of lead of self-development, all those three you know, intertwine regularly. How about for you? Well, I, I'm like you, also trained in theater. And um, I my career was in particular focused on creating new plays, um, which meant that, you know, I spent thousands of hours in the creative process from the blank page all the way through to transferring a show to Broadway, you know, and sometimes that took three or four years. And it just seemed to me that I was using the creative process as a leader, you know, there was a sort of seamless connection between being in the rehearsal room and then moving out of the rehearsal room. I didn't see a difference between the way I led in rehearsal or the way that the team led in rehearsal and what we were doing outside in the production side or the administrative side of the institution. But there wasn't quite the same culture, interestingly enough. Inside the theater, you know, rehearsal space, there's a lot of very specific role-based behavior and culture, cultural behavior that allows for a lot of unknown things to happen, a lot of experimentation, a lot of failure. Still with structure. You've got with a lot of equity structure. rules, so you've got right times right. for breaks and real structure and how things work. Right. And that in many ways, we had more problems actually out in the administrative side of the organization because maybe none of those people really had a a, a clear culture under which they were operating or mm. a clear sense of exactly how roles, uh, what kind of authority, what kind of responsibility, what kind of influence people were actually wielding under certain circumstances. So it could be sometimes chaotic, actually, in the administrative side of theater. And as I've said before, when you move from theater to theater, I was often aware, oh, wow, this theater's run completely differently than mm -hmm. this theater. And you have to make a very different kind of adaptation to this leader versus that leader. So that, that became something that... Um, so where did you see the creative process... Because you said I carried it wherever I went. How did you see it intersecting in, say, the rehearsal hall versus the boardroom? Well, I think that um, simple things like the first day of rehearsal, you always have the director and or the producer get up and set a context and set goals. And so that was an easy example of where I began to see, oh, I can translate that to talking to a board committee. And that um, we also, partly because I was involved in the education division of the organization, I began to think about teaching. That, in fact, going into a rehearsal space, you're often facilitating kind of um, project-based learning. And that when you think about how do you get people to come on board new ideas, 
that you actually had to do kind of a similar experience for people and that you needed to use creative experiences for people to come on board something. So I, I think over time, before I started to work with you, I was aware that I was taking creative experiences and moving them out into administrative experiences, volunteer experiences, mm -hmm. civic experiences, and that the more that I did that, the more effective it was, that it was actually a kind of magic, that the magic was to bring a more creative experience to people to try to convince them to do something they hadn't done before. One particular example of it is that I began to do something called devising. I, it, creatively for myself, I began to get less interested in texts that had been written before rehearsal began and got more interested in the idea of projects that could be created in rehearsal. And that began to give me this, I had to try to explain what was the part of the process before we knew what we were going to do. A lot of people were very anxious. And so I started to draw these three spirals. And I would say sort of the first spiral, the first kind of, you know, circular, semicircular shape is pre-production, a place where we don't know. And actually all we're focused on is going from not knowing anything to beginning to have something coalesce, like, okay, let's work on this. And then the next part was kind of rehearsal and refinement and, you know, giving a lot of editing. And then a final version of it was performance and reflection, the critique period. And then you might go back to the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And that began to be something you and I talked about. I mean, mm -hmm. I really began to see that running the Institute was going to have to be like that. That iterative. we were going to have to it's make iterative. up stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's iterative. Mm -hmm. And so then I was like, that was my aha. I mean, I really, I really mm -hmm. thought, oh, wow. So we, we could actually take what is our fundamental process, the creative process, and apply it to any new challenge, and that artists in particular are trained particularly well to do this. Mm -hmm. They really understand it. They have both uh, two big skills, one of which is they don't mind being in the unknown. They're used to it, but they're very goal-driven and highly disciplined. So they can go back and forth between those two. So, you know, think of a dancer, right? We're making up a dance. We don't know what the dance is going to be. Come into the room and listen to some music. Improvise for me. And then use all that incredible disciplinary capacity. You can jump in the air. You can and, and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse until you refine it down to something really beautiful. That, to me, is what leadership looks like in almost every institution. Most institutions don't work that way, though. They don't really actually maximize the creative potential. They have at their fingertips. They have at the fingertips. Yeah, you know, you're making me think of kind of my process and evolution, um, starting off purely as an actor. Um, and then I started and ran one theater company, um, which was about um, enhancing and creating, supporting um, creativity and imagination in everyday life for K through 12 kids. And then going back to graduate school to get my MFA, being a formal working artist out of New York and then back in North Carolina, running, starting a second professional theater company to do more traditional theater. You know, and that evolution process and the lessons I learned from starting a company to getting more training, to starting a second company, to learning how to lead and produce large productions. I kept looping back to the notion of, one, having vision, two, holding the container and the context for people to be successful. And then three, something that keeps popping into my head that was one of the ahas for me was when I was in graduate school, you know, when you're in conservatory training, as you know, Corey, they're kind of like pulling and removing all of your bad habits. So you're constantly getting berated. And, and I'm sure I heard this message a thousand times from my professors. And then finally, one time in rehearsal, 
my teacher at that time, he said to me, you know, Rob, when you're developing a character, you can spend hundreds of hours working on character development, researching the time and the place and developing your story and much like starting up a company or the background work you do on putting a production team together. You could spend so much time doing that. And he said, but ultimately when you hit the stage, that amounts to about 10% of your performance. 90% is what you and I are doing right now, which is looking at each other, making connection, hearing each other, playing off each other. That's, to him, he said, that's where the real work is happening. And, and it finally clicked for me and I realized, oh, how present am I? I can create vision. I can wrangle up all my good friends to put together a production. But if I'm not connecting with them, if I'm not engaging them, if I'm not giving them the space to do their best, if I'm not hearing their feedback, if I'm not hearing their ideas, um, if we're not interplaying with each other, we can only take it so far. And that was a huge epiphany for me to say, oh, I'm developing these skills and I need to be in the moment when I'm doing it, which is what set me into mindfulness also. Huge interplay there for me that, that led me then, once I found coaching, to say, oh, that's what this is. It's our engagement with one another here and how I help you make discovery for yourself. You can find a longer version of Rob and Corey's conversation at www.uncsa.edu slash artist as leader. As always, if there's an artist leader you'd love us to feature on this podcast, please be sure to let us know by finding us on Facebook at Keenan Institute for the Arts. Please be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts so you won't miss our next conversation with a notable artist leader. Our theme music is by The Dimes. I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti. Thank you so much for listening.